0: Now, if you have been with us over the last few weeks, we have been talking to you about the metrics of grace. Uh, Some of you wonder, what in the world are the metrics of grace? Well, remember I talked to you a little bit about Jonathan Edwards, and he is best known, of course, for that sermon he preached that uh, basically challenged people, sinners in the hands of an angry God, but he also outlined the, the earmarks of fruitfulness in the body of Christ. And I've taken those five or six marks of fruitfulness that he's mentioned and we've attached the idea of the metrics of grace because all of these earmarks of a fruitful church are indications of God's great grace in our lives. Three weeks ago we talked about the first one that when we are a fruitful ministry we will have A desire to esteem Christ and that's what we do in worship Uh, worship is a celebration it's a participation in the life of God the next week we looked at the importance of having a readiness to confess and repent Uh, when there's issues between us and other believers we need to get those things taken care of we need to keep short accounts with God and with one another Then last Sunday we looked at the importance of realizing that this book is a supernatural word from God. And we need to be under the authority of this book. Uh, This book will keep us from sin or sin will keep us from this book. That was a quote from Dwight L. Moody. Now this morning we want to look at the fourth uh, step the fourth earmark of a fruitful ministry and that is having a relentless desire to know God to know God in all of his greatness and all of his fullness and to be having a hunger for God that that never ever quits and so I invite you to take your Bibles please and turn with me to Psalm 139 Psalm 139 we're going to read the first six verses and center our attention upon these six verses, we could spend another four or five weeks just in this incredible chapter of scripture. So will you please stand in honor of the word of God and you follow along as I read. Psalm 139, beginning at verse one. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds to God's truth. Father in heaven, we come before you today longing to know you more. Longing to know you completely. Lord, develop within our hearts today a hunger for you, a hunger to know the God who knows us so well and cares so much about each one of us speak to my heart and to all of our hearts today in the matchless name of Jesus we pray amen you may be seated as I said a couple of weeks ago our world is exploding with knowledge and I believe that we as the people of God need to be in a relentless pursuit A hungering after God as never before. There are many things that people hunger after today. Many times they are things that do not contribute to our well-being. But they are desires of our heart. And as Christ followers, I believe God wants us to have a hunger after Him. And to know Him. And to understand something of His greatness. Knowledge today is increasing at an accelerating pace. According to Mark Rosenberg in his blog, Mark My Words, he forecasts that there is coming in this generation a knowledge tsunami. He points out the research of futurist Buckmaster Fuller who estimated back in 1982 that knowledge is doubling every 12 to 13 months that was 1980 but by this year IBM projected that knowledge would double every 11 to 12 hours Now, just stop and think about that we are living in a world where knowledge is literally exploding to put that in perspective information that 10 years ago was maybe useful for 12 months Today is only useful for about six months. Alvin Toffler, in his famous book, Future Shock, predicted that the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. In fact, by this year, it is estimated that as many as 50 billion interconnected devices will all be linked together, outstripping the amount of information generated by people. So machines are generating far more information, far more knowledge than the accumulated knowledge of the people on planet Earth. And yet in spite of this explosion of human knowledge, we have an all-knowing God who stands head and shoulders of all the Diverse technologies and strategies of the most brilliant minds. In fact, the God you and I know and serve is all knowing. There is nothing that man has manufactured, discovered, created, or patented that God does not know. The all knowingness of God is often referred to in theological terms as the omniscience of God. And it's the omniscience of God, this aspect of his being, that we want to consider this morning. Now, when we affirm that God is omniscient, we're expressing the belief that there is nothing in the past, present, or future that God does not know. His knowledge is not acquired through academic excellence or scientific calculation. Since God cannot learn, his knowledge is rooted in his being. He knows all because he is God. Period. We are serving an all-knowing God. Tozer in his excellent book The Knowledge of the Holy elaborates this point. Quote to say that God is omniscient, all-knowing is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more, it is to say that God has never learned and he cannot learn. Now just stop and think about that. You and I as human beings, we need to learn. We need to take in new knowledge so we can function in this life. But God, because knowledge is rooted in him, has never learned. Indeed, he cannot learn. The scriptures back this up. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40, 13 and 14. Notice, who has understood the mind of the Lord, or who has instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Answer is nobody. <laughs> God possesses all knowledge because of who he is. Tozer continues, quote, Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge that he did not possess and had not possessed from eternity? He would be imperfect and less than himself. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters. He never discovers anything. He's never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything he never seeks information he never asks questions we have a God who is the embodiment of absolute knowledge and this God who knows everything wants us as his followers to have an insatiable desire to know him to understand who he is a brief but by no means exhaustive survey of the scripture tells us some interesting things that God knows for example in Isaiah 46 9 to 11 remember the former things the things those of long ago I am God there's no other I am God there is none like me look at the next phrase I make known the end from the beginning. You know any human being that knows the end from the beginning? I don't. From ancient times, what is still to come? I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. In fact, the Bible says that God knows every single star in heaven. Have you ever looked up at the stars? Last night, there was a full moon, but there was also stars. You ever looked up in the stars? God knows every single one of them. Plus, he's placed a name on every one of those stars, and he knows each of the stars by name, according to Isaiah 40 and verse 26. Here in Psalm 139 too, the psalmist explains that God knows his thoughts even before he thinks them. Jesus reminds us that God knows when a tiny sparrow falls. Just think of it. We don't think much when a sparrow falls, but God knows every time that little bird falls. In fact, he goes on to say in that passage in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 to 31, that he even knows the amount, the number of hairs on our head. Have you ever estimated how many hairs are on your head? Now, some of us don't give God a lot of of help that way. But he still knows the number of hairs. He he knows all. He knows everything about us. There's not a single thing that we think we know that God doesn't know. He is an all-knowing God. Now, the passage we want to look at this morning is an eloquent testimony to the all-knowingness of God. This particular psalm has been called by some, quote, the crown of the psalms. And this psalm easily divides into four clusters. Four clusters of six verses each. And the theme throughout this passage is the omniscience, the transcendence, the bigness of our God. For example, here in Psalm 139, 1-6, to 6, you have the omniscience of God. Look at verse 1. He searches me. He knows me. You could translate it this way. He makes a minute investigation of me. Number 2, Psalm 139, 7-12, to 12, you have the omnipresence of God. He is with us. We can never escape His presence. Some people try to run away from God. They can, you can never run away from God. God always will pursue after us, even when we are trying to flee from Him. The atheist says, "Where's God?" The faithful Christ follower says, "Where is God not?" God is always present. Psalm 139, 13 to 18, we have the omnipotence or the all-powerfulness of God. Notice verse 14, he, he fashions us. He makes us uniquely in his image. What does the text say? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We didn't just kind of evolve out of a little piece of protoplasm and all of a sudden become a human being. God created us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. He did this by the power that is resident within him as God. And then in Psalm 139, 19 to 24, we have the omni-righteousness of God. God is righteous to the very core of his being. And so this morning, we're just going to look at that first cluster. And there are three incredible truths that leap out at us. First of all, God's knowledge of us is personal. Look at Psalm 139, 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Notice the personal pronouns. He knows everything about us. God's knowledge of us is personal. Now, there is something within the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl to know that as a human being, they have value, they have worth. We live in a world today in which people are struggling with their well-being, with their worthiness, with their, their worth. And yet God knows us so well, he knows us inside and out. He personally cares about us. So many of our students today get bullied in school, put down as if they don't matter. In fact, if a person posts something on Facebook and they don't get a whole lot of likes, they go into deep depression because their value is based on what others are saying about them. What does God say about us? He knows us. He values us. Every person in this room matters to the living God. You matter to him. You mattered enough that he sent his son into the world to go and die on the cross so that you might have eternal life. There's no one else that I know who cares that much for us that would take his unique son and send him into the world to die for an enemy. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us because he, what? He values us. He cares for us. He knows us. It's incredible today, the suicide pacts among teens are becoming increasingly prominent because their peers have ridiculed them and not accepted them. My friends, God accepts you. He accepts you just as you are. You don't have to do anything to receive the acceptance of God. He values you. That is what the scripture says. And that is what we need to wrap our minds around. Now as the, folk, as the psalmist focuses his attention on God, he discovers that God's personally interested in him. In fact, God's more interested in him than he ever dared to to realize or suspect. In fact, notice the text here in verse 3. God is watching over him in his passive moments as well as in his active moments. Verse 2, when I sit, when I rise verse 2, verse 3 he knows about us when we're laying down when we're rising up he knows all of our ways now I don't know about you but the thing that hit me between the eyes in this particular passage is this, I don't have to be running full speed 24 7 to get God's attention some of us have the idea that superactivity is some kind of a sign of spirituality. It's not the case. We don't have to be busy 24-7 for God to care about us. He knows that we need to take periods of rest away from the hustle and bustle of this world. I think that As a young pastor, I didn't understand this. I thought I had to be busy 24-7. If I wasn't worn out, I wasn't doing the work of God. I remember as a young person making a statement, I'd rather burn out for God than rust out. That was just youthful exuberance. That was well-intentioned, but it was self-deceptive. There are millions of ministers today, people in the church, that are burned out because they've had the idea they have to always be busy, 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 and the only way they can be accepted by God is they are super active. That goes right against this passage of Scripture. God in his infinite knowledge is just as interested in us when we're taking a nap as he is when we're full blown ahead 24-7. He knows us. It's interesting, after Sandy and I moved to California back in the 80s, it didn't take us long to understand that there were two kinds of drivers. California, the quick and the dead. I think some of them have migrated here to Northern Michigan. It's been interesting to me as I look around and see the, the dented fenders of almost every other car in this community, it's very interesting. In fact, the license plates in Southern California would read something like this. You go slow. Why be normal? Uh, That's the environment. In fact, when we left California, I have never, ever forgotten the billboard which said, you are now leaving California, you can resume normal behavior. (laughs) You know, if you're in California, I mean, it is fast lanes. I mean, they have freeways that have 24 lanes on each side. It's crazy. We don't have to be constantly on the run. Sometimes we need to learn to slow down. I came across an interesting poem the other day. Slow me down, Lord. Erase the pounding of my heart by the quieting of my mind. Steady my hurried pace with a vision of the eternal reach of time. Give me amidst the confusion of my day the calmness of the everlasting hills. Break the tensions of my nerves with the soothing music of the singing streams that live in my memory. Help me to know the magical resting power of sleep. Teach me the art of taking minute vacations, of slowing down, to look at a flower, to chat with an old friend, to make a new friend, to play with a stray dog, to watch a spider build a web, to smile at a child, or to read a few lines of a good book. Remind me each day that the race is not always to the swift, that there is more to life than increasing its speed. Look upward and look into the branches of the towering oak and know that it grew great and strong because it grew slowly and well. Slow me down, Lord, and inspire me to send my roots deep into the soil of life's enduring values. Friends, God is interested when we are going full speed ahead. He also loves us and cares for us just as much when we take a time out and get alone with Him and allow Him to empower us now God's not only personally interested in our passive and active moments in verse 2 notice He knows our thoughts you perceive my thoughts from afar now follow the psalmist here Our thoughts are the most personal part of our being. And God values us so much that He knows our thoughts even before we think them. This tells us something about the the greatness of God's knowledge. In Psalm 33, 11 and 13, the psalmist continues. He says, the plans of the Lord stand forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people he chose as his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Underline that statement, Chartreuse. God is always watching us. God is always concerned about us. And if he knows our thoughts before we think them, if he has that kind of interest in us, then we too must long for his counsel, his words. If God knows us so well, we need to have an insatiable hunger to know God. And the way we know God is through this book there's no shortcuts to know God the only way we can know God is to daily take in the Word of God into our minds every day and ponder and think deeply upon the Word of God so that the Word of God becomes part of our own DNA And as we turn to God's word, we discover that God's word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. And when we acknowledge the truth that God knows us so personally and intimately, then something is triggered inside us to have a hunger to know God. We can never know him the way he knows us, but to hunger to know him more. And more every day. Christian father was talking to her, or was overheard his son talking to his buddies. That, and they were out in the, the yard, and they were talking, and he overheard them. And they were they were talking about the subject, you know, uh, my dad can whip your dad, kind of a thing. And so one boy proudly said, "Well, my dad knows the mayor of our city." another one piped up and he said well that's nothing my dad knows the governor of the state and then this dad heard his own son say well that's no big deal my dad knows God And my friends when we know God and we have fallen in love with him and we are nurturing that relationship day after day we will begin to reflect his character and what this old sinful world needs more than anything else are Christ followers who reflect the character of their heavenly father the one who knows them so well they get to know him so that God himself makes himself known through everything we as Christ followers think say and do number two Not only is God's knowledge of us personal, it is penetrating. Look at verses three and four. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. God knows everything about us. Even when we think no one else knows anything about what we're thinking or doing, God knows. In fact, Psalm 4421 puts it this way He knows the secrets of the heart. The things that we secretly cherish and we think no one else knows, God knows. The proverbial writer re echoes those same truths. Proverbs 5 21 for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. Full view. Everything we do is in full view of the Lord. He examines all these paths. Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. You can't pull anything over God's eyes. Keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Now just stop and think about this for a minute. When good passes our life, and our lives and we pursue after it, God is pleased. When we do acts of kindness for others and pursue that which we know God wants us to pursue, it blesses his heart. But the reverse is also true. When evil distracts us, When evil wiggles its way into our lives and for one reason or another, instead of resisting the enemy and we follow that which is evil, God knows. He knows when our minds are thinking on wrong things. He knows when our actions, the words that we say, the attitudes that we cultivate are not of God. He knows all about that. He's aware of everything. The good that we pursue and the evil that we succumb to. And friends, we are living in a world today where evil is all around us. I cannot think of another moment in time, at least in my lifetime, where we don't see evil almost every single day and that is why we as the people of God need to follow Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 very, very closely trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight Friends, the church of Jesus Christ is desperately in need of Christ followers who will trust not in their flesh, trust not in their abilities, trust not in what someone else can do for them. He's looking for Christ followers who will trust him even when it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And if we will trust him, if we will honor him, he will help us to stand tall in a generation that is evil now not only does he know what's going on in our lives at daytime and at nighttime, he's knowledgeable of every word that we speak he says before a word verse 4 is on my tongue you know it completely the thought here is he not only knows the words but the hebrew word behind that God knows the motives behind those words. In other words, he knows what is really going on inside of us when we give someone else a piece of our mind. He knows the motive, and he knows whether or not we have said something to hurt or to heal. He knows if we had said something to encourage or to discourage. He not only knows the words, he knows the motive behind those words. God's aware of every encouraging word. He's aware of every affirmation. Don't you love to be around an affirming person? Isn't it great to be around an affirming person? You know, there are some folks, they're always complaining Always finding fault. But when you're around a person who's affirming, is known as a thank you person, don't you just love to be in their presence? In fact, there's an individual that decided to form an affirming club. And to be a part of the affirming club, you had to at least affirm seven different people every day. Shouldn't be hard for us to do. When was the last time you affirmed your spouse? When was the last time you affirmed your kids? What about those down serving in the nursery? Our tech people. You know, they're working back there behind the booth. You ever, you ever realize we have so many people serve? When was the last time you just said thank you? When was the last time you said thank you to a deacon or an elder? Thank you for enduring a lot of what's been going on. Thank you. We have to learn how to affirm. The apostle, or the psalmist here is saying that the more we affirm others, the greater our knowledge of God will become. Words are powerful. They can either build or destroy. Our speech, our one-on-one communication behind closed doors about others, it's all known to God. The word games we play to get others to do what we want them to do its transparently clear to God. When we realize that God knows us to this degree, we will begin to taste our words before we speak them. An elderly saint was once asked, what do you attribute your long life to? And this elderly Christ follower simply said this, before I speak, I taste my words. Our words are to be seasoned with salt. In the body of Christ, there should not be a harsh word. There should not be a complaining word. We should not be looking for the flaws in one another. We need to always be looking for the best in each other. Do you understand this? We need to help other people become successful. We need to help others grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's knowledge of us is so penetrating, it produces within us a desire to reflect this God who knows us so well. And then, thirdly, God's knowledge of us is pervasive. Look at five and six, he says, you hem me in behind and before, you've laid your hand upon me. Now I want you to put a circle around the word hem. The psalmist here is picturing God as actually hemming him in, putting his arms around him and hemming him in. All encompassing, all embracing, all encircling. Interestingly, that word hem in the Hebrew language means to enclose as an army encloses a city it's about to take over. It blocks off every exit, it completely encompasses that city so no one can get in or get out. And that's the picture the psalmist wants us to have of God. He encircles us. He wraps his arms around us. He hems us up before and behind. He's with us 24-7. We can count on his presence. Moffat translates verse 5 this way, you are on every side behind me and before laying your hand on me. It's marvelous to be hemmed in by God, to be surrounded daily with his guidance and direction, when we're hemmed in with God you don't have to set up an appointment to talk to him he'll never disappoint you he will be there 24 7 he's hemmed you in he knows your schedule he knows when you're running late he knows when you're on time He knows when you double-schedule yourself and you have to call and apologize. He knows all these things. He hems us in. Now, the question is this. What should be our response to a God who hems us in and encompasses us with his love? Well, I want you to turn with me over to the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter... 28 verses 9 and 10. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verses 9 and 10. David applies this teaching in Psalm 139 now to his son, Solomon. Notice the text, 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father, and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Here it is underscore it for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. He is saying to his son, Solomon. The kingdom is yours. I want you to understand that this God who's given us the kingdom, he knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows every detail of our lives. Solomon, your first item of business is to seek him, seek him, seek him. Have a hunger for God. Follow him. Solomon is given incredible advice. But as you study the life of Solomon, we'll find out that he started out well, but he ended up not so good. Because there got a point in his life where he stopped seeking the Lord. He became consumed with himself and his riches and his women and all of his concubines And they all led him astray, and Solomon ended up his life not in victory, but in defeat, because he forsook the counsel of his wise father. Solomon's folly, unfortunately, is repeated over and over again in today's church. I can list you a whole list of ministry colleagues who I've known for many many years who have started out right and ended up wrong it breaks my heart it breaks my heart I have seen individuals come to faith in Jesus Christ be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus and somewhere down the line they stop seeking the God who knows them so well they actually believe that they can live life on their terms and everything can be okay friends it doesn't work that way we are given A clue here Solomon had everything going for him the only thing that he didn't surrender was his will and his will led him to abandon the teaching of his father (laughs) I don't know about you but I want to finish strong I want to finish strong. I don't want to allow the evil to distract me from a hunger after God. A hunger, by the way, that can never be fully satisfied until one day we see Jesus. And as I have mulled over this passage again and again in my mind, I found myself having an insatiable desire to know this God more intimately and completely than I ever have before. J.I. Packer has written a very interesting little book entitled Knowing God. He says that when we have this knowledge of the God who knows us, and it's a growing knowledge because we're falling more deeply and deeply in love with him, it will impact our lives in four practical ways. You may want to jot these down. Number one, when we know God, we will have great energy for God. In Daniel 11.31, the Bible says, the people who know their God will firmly resist him. They're talking about the armies of evil that had come against them. The people who know God will have great energy to fight off the enemy the Bible says in the book of James resist the devil and he will flee from us we need an army of soldiers today who know their God so well that they will stand up against the enemy and when we do he flees and we have great energy for him number two when we know God we will have great thoughts of God we will be preoccupied with him. We'll be conscious of God, his righteousness, his holiness, his forgiveness, his unchangeableness, his faithfulness. And we will heed Paul's encouragement in 2 Corinthians ten five. We will take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now, you can't stop a bad thought from coming across your mind. But you can't stop dwelling on it. Billy Graham used to put it this way. He says you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. (laughs) Every day, bad thoughts will come. You don't have to hang on to those things. You can bring it in captivity to obedience to Christ. We think his thoughts. When the enemy gives you a bad thought and on a trigger a God thought, something that you've read from the scriptures. Number three, when we know God, we will have great boldness for God. We will not cave in when the pressure is on. When we're questioned about our faith, we will not be bothered or bullied. We will share our faith in the boldness of the apostles. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. God's looking for people today who are going to be bold sharing their faith. Every one of us, we have a sphere of influence. God calls us to boldness. It only happens when we are growing in our knowledge of God. Number four, when we know God, we will have great contentment in God. Contentment misses so many people today simply because they have left God out. Contentment comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ the Bible says in the book of Romans therefore being justified by faith we have what peace contentment with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and a little bit later he says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children then heirs and joint heirs of Jesus Christ my friend you matter to God you're his heir (laughs) praise Jesus You belong to the king. You're a king's kid. (laughs) It's all in the book. Contentment comes as we grow in our knowledge of God. And as David comes to the end of verse 6, notice he cannot contain himself. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. When I understand how much you know about me and I begin to hunger after you to know you more and more and more, it's so wonderful. I can't even contain it. God, you are so great. That's what he's looking for today. That's what he is desirous, that we are in a relentless pursuit to know the God who knows us so well. And notice how he concludes verses 21 or 23 and 24 he concludes with a prayer and I'm going to ask you to please stand and we're going to pray this prayer together Psalm 139 23 and 24 let's pray this prayer together Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father in heaven, we love you. We confess that... Our hunger for you probably has not been as high as it should be. I know that's the case in my life. Lord, forgive me for not having a hunger for you. You know me so well. And Lord, I pray that you would trigger a relentless pursuit after you in each of our hearts this morning that we would want to know you in dimensions we've never, ever known you before and to live a life that reflects our Father who knows us so well and has sent his Son to be our Savior, our Lord, and our Master. And so again, Lord, this morning we surrender to you. Take all of us. Use us for your glory. May others be drawn to Jesus because they see how much the Father loves us and we love him. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray, amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless all of you.